Welcome to the Clear Feeling Podcast. Today I speak to Cork GAA legend Breed Stack, who has 11 All Ireland wins and 7 All Star awards. We discuss her sporting career, including a major injury she suffered, motherhood, and her philosophy on life. So, Breed Stack, thank you very much for joining the Kira Feeling Podcast. For those listening who may be familiar with your name, Breed, but don't really know who you are, how would you describe yourself? Um, well, I suppose I would describe myself, first of all, as uh, generally an upbeat person and very fun loving. Um, I would describe myself as um, very diligent and extremely hardworking. Um, everything or everywhere that I've gotten and everything that I have feel that I have achieved, I've achieved through hard work. I'm not one of these people that gets lucky. <laughs> um, but I suppose I'm very, very reliable. Um, I'm a loyal person, um, especially to my friends and my family. Um, I suppose I could be seen as a little bit of a risk taker. Um, so I currently am self-employed and I also went on a, a mad trip to Australia when I was uh, 34 years of age with my son and my husband. Um, and I suppose probably to those closest to me, I'm probably seen as a multitasker. I always have probably about 90 tabs open in my head at any time, but that's probably more so since becoming a parent as well. And just, <laughs> I suppose, a bit of a mental load that comes with that. But um, for those outside of my close-knit circle, um, I'm probably known as having played with uh, Cork Ladies Footballers for um, well over 15 years and um, was very, um, I suppose, honoured to be part of a, a very successful team that won. Um, I won 11 All-Irelands with that team. Um, and then I suppose I retired from Cork football and uh, an opportunity to go to Australia to play um, AFL. Um, w came up when I was 34 um, and I decided to take that opportunity. So and that has probably brought me to current day, really. Obviously, you've had an incredible sporting career. Uh, you mentioned m- multiple All-Ireland wins with Cork, All-Star Awards and the whole shebang. That takes immense determination. You mentioned that you're also a risk taker. Where do you think that drive came from? Um, has anyone in, in particular influenced the decisions you've made in your life? Um, yeah, I suppose early days, probably uh, growing up, um, I grew up in a very rural um, part of Cork called Rock Chapel. Um, and like that, like I said, everything we had, we worked very hard for it. Um, Mom and dad would both have been teachers. Um, I knew I wanted to go down the teaching route as well. And, um, you know, I suppose studied and worked very hard to become a PE teacher. Um, went to the University of Limerick and studied PE and maths and, um, you know, got a job when I came out of school and was in that school for for over 10 years and I absolutely loved it um, so much. Um, I suppose the football side of things, dad would have been involved in football. Mom wouldn't have had a clue about football really, but um, was our greatest supporters. And, you know, they they were instrumental in us, I suppose, sticking with sport. And um, myself, my sister and my brother carted us all over the country, like all good rural parents that just taxied us absolutely everywhere and put their own kind of lives on hold for a little spell. And you know, I was very thankful to give them great days out in, in Crow Park. And I suppose they have friends for life through, you know, my friends' parents as well, which is uh, something, you know, they're they're eternally grateful, grateful as well. Um, and I suppose it wasn't probably until I got to Cork football that I 
was probably highly influenced by Eamon Ryan, who was, you know, my manager and coach for um, well over a decade. And him, along with um, a woman called Mary Collins, Mary Collins would have been my um, my local um, manager, but she actually came in um, as the Cork Ladies Football Manager. She brought Eamon in as coach. And the two of them were just uh, an unbelievable combination and just the importance of having good people in your corner and good people behind you. And um, because Mary was a straight shooter, uh, there was no fluff with Mary. She'd tell you straight out. Um, I remember being 18 years of age and went off to college and had a, a grand old time for a couple of months. And Mary wasn't long sitting me down anyway, telling me to sit back from the table a little bit and put down the hot chicken rolls. Um, so, uh, you know, that was just, I suppose, the way she was. She was an, an, an immense straight shooter absolutely no bias and you needed people like that especially in a setup that hadn't been successful up to that point uh Eamon Ryan came in we knew absolutely nothing about him we knew he was a man in his 60s he had played for Cork before but that was the height of it and I suppose what we learned very early on from Eamon that he only dealt with honesty of effort and he only dealt with um, people that were willing to um I suppose just go that extra mile um, people that were willing to kind of make massive sacrifices. And I suppose over the years, we never called them sacrifices. We called them winning choices and choices we made to be successful. Um, and I think through him and his modesty, and as I said, his honesty, and we just saw how much effort he was putting into us. We were only mad to repay him. And, you know, it's something that, you know, even though Eamon has passed now, we all still hold so many of those traits very, very dearly. And we will for for a long, long time to come. You mentioned, obviously, that you took the risk. You moved to Australia. You moved to the other side of the world with your husband and your son. Um, and, of course, a lot of people would be aware that you suffered a drastic neck injury uh, that put you out of play. And I can only imagine had a profound impact on your life. The, at the moment that the collision on the pitch happened, what was going through your head at that time? Um, so I suppose I was very fortunate throughout my career with Cork um, that I uh, had never suffered a serious injury. Um, I probably had had a couple of hamstring nicks. That was the height of it. Um, there was never anything that was really going to put me out long term. There was never anything that could have a severe life changing um, side to it. Um, so I suppose the first thing, I just couldn't get over the unbelievable pain um, that was shooting through me. Um, I suppose the pain shot down my back, uh, just up up towards my head, shot down my back. And then the pain in my arm, I honestly thought I had broken my arm as well. And it turned out I had uh, impacted nerve damage in my arm as well. So I just remember being on the ground. I think the first person that was up to me was Cora. She knew by my scream straight away. Um, unfortunately, she had suffered serious injuries before and had seen other teammates suffer serious injuries and knew knew that that cry was was not something, you know, that was to be taken lightly. And uh, I suppose the first thing I asked her was, like, is my arm broken? Like, my arm is broken. It's definitely broken. And uh, she said, no, your arm looks fine. And I said, my, my neck, my arm. And she... Yeah, just got, like, I suppose, very worried for me, very upset for me. And, um, you know, other teammates rushed in. My husband was there at the time as well. And he rushed in. And, uh, yeah, like, <laughs> I'm sorry, I get a little It's okay, take a few minutes.
I can only imagine the the strength that you probably needed to overcome what had happened um to and to recall it must be very difficult for you um it is but only because I actually find you know talking about it that it it isn't so much the injury that I was worried about I suppose I was very fortunate to play sport for many many years and to to be very selfish doing that okay sorry Kira. I you're I can okay take, take a few minutes if you want what goes to your head is like um, as I said I had retired from cock football I was blessed with having um, a little boy um, who came into our life you know a year and a bit after I retired we'd set up our own business there was an awful amount that needed to um, to go into us actually making the move to Australia in the first place so you know we Myself and my husband are two of four directors of our business, um, along with his two brothers. And we own a, a sports supplements business called My Poor Supplements. And I suppose, you know, looking back on that, that was in its infancy as well. So to take two of the four directors was a massive risk um, and one, you know, that you would hope wouldn't impact relationships in your family. Um, you know, I suppose taking a, a little boy away from his grandparents and away from his family that he... Um, grew up with for for a year and him still just being one year old um was daunting but obviously it, it had the promise of a massive adventure as well and I suppose for me personally the amount of work that I put in to get my body back after pregnancy to get strong fit I was going over to a sport I had never played before um and I suppose I made sure that I was the fastest strongest leanest um that I had ever been so I actually felt like I was in absolute peak condition and all I was doing was kind of letting you know the skill set be the thing that I had to work on when I went over um and I suppose for it to happen in the very first game what happens what goes to your mind is like how how is this happening now like I'm so prepped I'm so I did everything to make sure that I put myself in the best position possible and you know I suppose it just kind of goes show like you can you can you know, put in as much hard work as possible, but something sometimes things just don't work out. Um, and I suppose, you know, that goes through your mind. But like I I and I suppose the reason I got a small bit upset is because um, you know, with Cork football I only ever had to worry about myself. There was I could be as selfish as I wanted to for so many years. I always put myself first. And I suppose when that injury happened, you know, my son was to the forefront of my brain. Um and that that was a very scary, scary thing. And, you know, you obviously um, went back playing, but over the last two years, you probably have had some time to reflect on what happened. What have you realised about yourself in that period? Um. So, yeah, I suppose, look, I was very thankful um, that, you know, it wasn't more serious. It took probably um, a, a while for the surgeon to give me clearance. Um you know, it, and to make, to kind of make sure that everything was stable and that I was in a good position. Um, and then I suppose me being me, I probably, you know, went from immediately, um, being so, so grateful to, okay, what can I do to get back? Um, I'm after making all these life changes, not just for me, but for my family as well. Um, 
you know, I took my husband away from his own championship football for two years. He still reminds me of that, that, uh, you know, his uh, his club wasn't too happy, I'd say, either. But look, it was the it was the opportunity. And, you know, he's he's obviously so glad that we did it. But, uh, you know, I suppose there was a lot of guilt around uh, on my part because there was so many people involved. Like I said, I could be selfish before where there was a lot of people, um, you know, that this impacted. But um, I suppose it was very important to me to to make it a success or to for in my head for for it not all to be for for nothing really and um yeah like I suppose I I made a conscious effort to do everything I could to try to get back onto the field at the end of that season um I'd say the next surgeon thought I was absolutely bananas I'd say he was ready to check me into a mental hospital as opposed to you know to go in for my day for my checkups on on the progress of my of my neck fracture um but um, I suppose, look, I needed something to strive for and, and that was the way I, I was. And that's probably the way that I've always been all my life. I like setting goals for myself and granted my goals had to be in a smaller time frame over in Australia, but I set myself weekly goals and made sure I kept hitting them. Um, and like there was plenty trips that the that the physios didn't know about, that the doctors didn't know about. I went off to a fella, Terry, out in uh Chinatown, who didn't even have a website, so Terry was dodgy enough. But I heard Terry was was great at um at healing inflammation and and I suppose speeding up things. So I tried everything in my power to try to get back. And at the end of the season, um, I was allowed to go back on the track and train with the girls. Granted, in a non-contact um vicinity, um, kind of I could do the drills that were all non-contact and granted I wasn't going as fast as I used to be able to go but um, I suppose I had massive pride that I could um, do that and uh, get back on the track um, and what happened then I suppose afterwards was was my own determination was to stay on for about five weeks, uh, train with the head coach, she kind of gave me a bit of confidence back and I suppose that's the only way that you can gain confidence back is by kind of getting in the in the field again and um, thankfully, I got offered a second year contract. So um, I suppose that second year, I put my heart and soul into it um, and thankfully had a great season uh, towards the end of the season. Probably was a slow starter. Uh, it took a while to get the confidence up. Um, I suppose the tackle that I you know, would have done numerous times in the training um, I suppose I was a little bit apprehensive, obviously, at the start of the season and um, going head first into things, which I always would have done. And then towards the end of the season, I was um, I, I thankfully, you know, was a lot more comfortable. Um, and yeah, I suppose what I've learned from from that whole experience is. Um, I suppose, you know, the greatest risk is probably not taking a risk. That's probably something that I've learned um I've probably learned so much more about myself and my character um than I ever learned playing with Cork football um I suppose with Cork football I was always part of a group I always had my teammates to rely on so heavily when things went wrong um and that was a testament to fantastic teammates you know they were so loyal so reliable but um I suppose I really had to I had to kind of test my own character when I went out to Australia and and juggling family life and uh and and all that um and obviously looking after a little boy while all of this is happening so um i i did probably learn a lot more about myself um i learned you know what my strengths are but i also learned what my limitations are and i definitely need to work on patience and 
uh, and a bit of temperament and, and things like that. But um, I suppose, look, you know, we're never the finished article. You're constantly evolving and it takes, you know, a couple of events um, and life being a little bit hard sometimes, you know, to to kind of learn those things. Um, but I wouldn't change it for the world. I'm I'm glad looking back on it that we went through it because it's definitely made me a stronger person and I suppose the importance of stopping every now and again to stop and smell the roses. I was going to ask that because you mentioned, you know, with previous incidents that you would have had the Cork team ladies around you, you would have had a big support system, but obviously in your recovery of your injury, you would have had to spend a lot of time alone men- mentally, really. Did you realise that you're stronger than what you were? What you thought you were? Yeah, 100%. And um, like I suppose... I am eternally grateful. I'm probably more grateful now looking back on it than I was in those initial days um, that it obviously wasn't a different outcome. You know, I for years would have trained in a gym in Cork um, called the Cork Rehabilitation Gym. Um, and basically I trained alongside uh, wheelchair users, um, people that were using the exoskeletal um, that were traveling down from Meath, traveling from Dublin to come down to use this exoskeleton. And I was millimeters from from being in that position myself so i have a massive um i suppose i have a mass massive gratefulness in me i have a massive empathy for for you know how quickly life can change in in a couple of minutes um so yeah like uh as i said it definitely it, it does it does change you a little bit and i suppose what it does probably make you more aware of there's so many things in life that you can't control um you know there's so many things that you can't but by god there's so many things that you can control you can control your mindset your attitude your work rate your honesty and certainly how you how you react to things and how you deal with other people and uh yeah it's something like that i'm still learning but i probably am a lot more aware of now since since you know i i got injured I know you had um a tough time dealing with the outcome of the tribunal um when the incident cleared Ebony Marinoff. I was just wondering, did she ever reach out to you ever over the incident? Uh yeah, she did uh initially the day after it happened or yeah, I think it was the day after it happened, she did send me a text, but uh yeah, I suppose look, uh it wouldn't have been the text that I would have sent, but look, that's that's just the way it looks. She didn't know me and she she stressed that. She was like, you know, um, I don't know you, I don't know anything about you, but um, you know, that was just I suppose it was kind of they were used to the professional setup. I certainly wasn't used to the professional setup and I suppose look, it's a business at the end of the day. They had a job to do and um, you know, in fairness, some of her teammates I actually would know one of her teammates. She was an Irish girl, Ailish Considine, and she was absolutely phenomenal at ringing me nonstop. And uh, we met up, you know, a couple of times. She was just absolutely fantastic. Um, as was, you know, their captain and their vice captain. You know, they they really were so empathetic. Um, and I suppose the captain herself was a mother, so she was extremely empathetic as well. Um, for I suppose what was going on. And the tribunal was something I'd never dealt with. Obviously, playing an amateur sport, you never deal with those type of things. So that was something that was just completely foreign and alien to me. Um, And I actually had to go off uh, Twitter because, like, you know, even Cora was just like, don't bother going on it. Like, you know, it was, I suppose, you know, there was my integrity was called into question, things like this from people that didn't know me. So that was just another thing that had I been a younger player, I would be very worried for, for them. But you know, I suppose I, I had good people around me and I knew myself just to distance myself from it and uh, what to focus on. And 
Um, yeah, it seems like a distant memory now, to be honest. It really, really does. Um, and I know I got I got a little bit upset earlier, but I suppose it's because family means so much to me. So that's it. You obviously that was one of uh, the most difficult things you could go through, um, especially away from home. But you obviously have very happy memories of your time in Australia as well. Like you're only home since December, is it? What 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 was the moment that probably you've taken away from Australia that you'll always remember the happiest moment? Um. Oh, countless. There is absolutely countless moments, and I suppose. Um, I never lived away from home ever um, all my life. I never went in a J1 because we were always playing a cart football. So I never had that experience of living away. And I do think it's so vital sometime in your life to live somewhere that's not home because it probably makes you realize how much you love home or how much, um, you know, where you actually do want to be or, or where kind of your heart lies. Um, and while I absolutely adored it, there really was nowhere like like coming back and seeing the green fields, you know, when you're flying in. Um, but there was just the the it's it's people make an experience, 100 percent people make an experience. And um, the head coach that brought me over initially, Alan McConnell, like I I could not stress how fantastic of a man he was. And like there's so many great days that I think back on, but most of them are in his home. Uh, he welcomed us into his home um, with his lovely partner, Susie, countless times over the three seasons that we were there. Um, and every single time, you know, he went in under the stairs and brought out all the toys that he has for his grandkids. And I just remember like there was one time I was coming from the sitting room into the kitchen and he was sitting down playing cha- playing trains with Ogie. And... You know, it was just lovely to think back on those type of things. Like, you know, it is, it's the people that make an experience. And, you know, he was so committed and invested in making sure that our family enjoyed our experience. And, and we really did. Now, I can only imagine what the crack must have been like with the girls and the team. I say you have plenty of stories to tell that you couldn't really write a small book. What was that experience like? I know, obviously, Cora Staunton, you've mentioned her, was over there. Um, and then the team in, in general, the bonding session and uh, friendships you've must have explored over there for the rest of your life. That's it. Um, and like they're phenomenal, phenomenal friends that I I will have for the rest of my life. You know, we're still in contact. We're still voice noting. Uh, they are still trying to learn Irish and Cork slang. Um, you know, <laughs> I got I got one of them a pair of socks there recently. I found it there in the shop and it was like the crack is 90. So I can't wait to send that over to her because... Every now and again, she'll send me a message and she was like, well, Reed, is the crack still 90? Is the crack still 90? <laughs> um, and they're just wonderful people. And as I said, you know, we we landed over um, just through COVID. We were in quarantine with Corrick Oak. You know, while we were in quarantine, they were constantly, they, they, these people did not know me from Adam and they were sending us, you know, hampers. They were sending us texts. They were ringing us. You know, I did not know them. I had no face to put to any of them and they were just, absolutely unbelievable people um, and then when the injury happened I suppose look I am extremely fortunate obviously that Cora was there Cora just uh, took Ogie and looked after him but you know there were 30 other girls that were saying right we'll take Ogie today we'll take Ogie for half an hour today we'll take Ogie down to the shop here now and I knew he was so safe with any of them like you know so um, I suppose the thing about the professional lifestyle and and kind of you know going into that environment is 
these girls are from all over Australia. They're not just Sydney-based. They're not just Western Sydney-based. So they know the importance of looking after people when they travel a long way. Um, and, and probably, you know, um, you know, I suppose their empathy and their kindness was something that really stood out to me. And, and I know going forward, we'll be friends for a long time. There's a couple of them planning a, a trip to Ireland. So I told them to pack the raincoat anyway, and uh, and we'll show them all the sites, you know. So um, Amazing. You mentioned, obviously, that uh, you're a mother. What has motherhood been like for you? Um, yeah, oh, it's been phenomenal. I suppose it, it definitely isn't linear. And the start of it, um, like I said, I, I kind of got the call from Alan while I was, I'd say I was about seven months pregnant if I wanted to take up this opportunity. Um, I suppose I had to put that on hold and see how things um, were and how um, everything progressed afterwards. Um, but he was just the happiest, best baby in the world. He has learned to be very adaptable very early on in his life. And um, I suppose I'm very grateful for that. Um, you know, there was a lot of babies born around the same time as Ogie that had to, um, I suppose, that grew up in COVID Ireland. Um, whereas I suppose we were able to to give him an opportunity to experience life outside that and outside a 5K barrier. And, um, you know, I suppose I'm very, I'm very grateful for that. Um, the Giants were unbelievable to us. And, you know, they never, never made me I distanced myself from him for too long and he was on every single flight as was my husband and um, no matter where we traveled all over um Australia and um uh, sure they the girls just loved him as if he was one of their own like you know so um I've I've absolutely loved it and uh very very um blessed to be expecting a second baby as well in November so all going well so I can blame I can blame my earlier tears on on hormones absolutely raging through me so uh yeah hopefully uh hopefully that'll all go well congratulations so you're just almost six months pregnant is it Uh, almost six months yeah yeah so all going well now so uh uh, I came back in uh November uh from Australia and uh unfortunately we had a little bit of setback in in um in December um I miscarried in December um and I suppose yeah like football is so such an integral part of my life um and always will be I can't imagine ever stepping away from sport in some capacity but uh you know to return back to club football you know having given I suppose what what happened over in Australia initially with the injury you know to always still have club football to come back to um and I suppose especially after a miscarriage like you're kind of soul searching a little bit and that one was a, a very very hard one to take um and I I suppose launch myself back into club football um, and it's a wonderful distraction and a wonderful outlet for any for any uh, person and I suppose especially for someone that uh, is a mother um, you know we see mothers and others set up and you know how many women are availing of it and loving it and loving the camaraderie and and uh, I suppose like I said the outlet that comes from it um, and I went back to club football and was absolutely loving it completely invested in it and uh, you know after one league game um I kind of I was like Jesus I, I'm I don't know am I feeling great like whatever and we'd had a great game and you know I was thrown up in the forwards and I'm not a forward like so I was delighted with this new position going Jesus this is going to be great now I'll be one of those fellas now that'll have to go out and get white boots and uh, turn into a forward now from my uh, black boots days in the backs but um, yeah I found out I was expecting and like 
it's a, a mixture between being so overjoyed and obviously being being so nervous and apprehensive after having a miscarriage. And I suppose that doesn't leave you um, for a long time. But um, I had to fake a calf injury anyway with the girls for a, a good couple of weeks. Um, but uh, yeah, look, I, I suppose we're, we're absolutely delighted and have since been added to the management WhatsApp group. So I can't get away from club football really, oh. um, but enjoying it. That must have been uh, very difficult for you and thank you for sharing that um, as you're probably aware of the statistics of uh, miscarriage in Ireland as well and globally it's quite common. Um, were you, how did you cope with that, um, I suppose, especially after having Ogi and then learning that it was one miscarriage that you suffered? Yeah, um, I suppose unfortunately it wasn't my first miscarriage. Um, I had a miscarriage before Ogi as well. Um, and while that one was uh, further along than this one, I actually found this one a lot harder. Um, and I suppose it is because maybe naively, um, I I suppose I had a couple of friends um, that had suffered a miscarriage on their on their first go when they were trying to start a family. So I suppose I had kind of a an idea. Okay, look, this could happen, and. It did happen and obviously it was it was difficult at the time, but I suppose in my head I was like, I'm still young and I can, you know, we'll try again and everything. And, you know, thankfully, uh about four four or five months later it you know, we were blessed with Ogie and thankfully that that pregnancy progressed and and everything went great. Um and then I suppose this one, I had come home from Australia. Um we had I suppose I was extremely content with everything then in Australia. I had finished my time. I was very happy that, look, we had not in, not right the wrongs, but like in my head, I suppose, you know, that all the sacrifices that I had made in the first year that I was able to play on and kind of was very content then to say, yeah, we're finished in Australia now. Now it's time to go home and, and start adulting. And I suppose, you know, to the forefront of my head was certainly to extend our family you know I didn't want to to leave it any longer um I had only ever decided we were going to Australia for one year so to go over for three seasons wasn't something that I had planned for and um obviously you know we wanted to extend our family I come from a family of three Cora comes from a family of five so we you know you're always hoping that something like that will happen but uh you know we found out we were expecting and it was just like I suppose it was just like everything had kind of lined up that everything was meant to be and that we had done this trip and that now, you know, this next adventure is starting. And yeah, I suppose it was the week before Christmas and it was just um, absolutely devastating. Um, yeah, but look, that's that's just the way it went. Um, and like I said, I suppose it does kind of make you realise and I suppose, like I said, the other things that you know, that you learn from experiences are just like, you know, there's so many things that are out of your control. And this was just one of those things that was out of my control. And as I said, the things I could do were was how I reacted to it and kind of, you know, how I dealt with it. And it did take a lot longer to, to I suppose, make my peace with that one. Um, that one was certainly a lot harder to deal with. Um, just, I suppose, your mind can wander. Um you know, it was like, you know, was Ogie just a miracle? And, you know, um, have I left it too late? Am I a little bit older now? But, you know, all of that, it's just emotions run so high. Um, 
And look, thankfully, you know, I went back to club football. Like I said, club football was just the most unbelievable outlet. And we launched ourselves back into work, as I said, before we left. You know, we're two directors of four. So to talk about launching ourselves back into work, I think we have, you know, even present day, I'd say I have not worked three days since November, you know. So it's just been a case of launch yourself back into something and uh, set little goals. And for me, I suppose my little goals revolved around sport and revolved around, okay, I'm going to make sure I the first training session with the club, I nearly blew a gasket. So uh, I had enjoyed my Christmas a bit too much. There was a bit too much black smoke going on. So, you know, my, my goal was right, okay, to, to make sure I get back fit and healthy and uh, to make sure that I'm fit for club football and that distraction definitely reduces your worry in other aspects of your life and just the importance of having a distraction and having another outlet. Um, so I found that very, very, um, very welcome at that time. And as I said, very thankful then to, to be welcoming uh, a new baby. I'm sorry for the loss that you suffered, but I'm I'm thrilled to hear that you're obviously expecting another one on the way. What? Um, obviously, Ogie's quite young, but uh, his understanding of whether he's going to have a little brother or sister, how has that reaction gone down in the house? Uh, yeah, um, the car of my husband, I think, um, misjudged his ability to keep a secret and uh, told him um, kind of early, well, not early enough on, like I suppose we were very cautious. And that's another thing I suppose you're very, very cautious about, mm-hmm. about uh, telling anyone. Um, but I suppose I found it definitely harder to hide, hide this second time around. But, uh, you know, um, I suppose it probably wasn't until the 20 week scan that I really felt, okay, I'm, I'm in, I'm in an okay position here but even at that like you I'd say until you have a little baby in your hands you're always going to have that little bit of worry and I'm I suppose I'm very very conscious of uh of saying those things you know when I have a little boy and I have been blessed with a little boy and I know there's so many people and I I know uh plenty of my friends that are are struggling um it's it's funny like for years we try to stop ourselves getting pregnant when we were younger and when we were involved in sport and uh, and now it's like you just don't see it, I suppose, when you're younger as all the complications that can happen. But uh, look, that's just the way that my system is built. And, and like I said, I have to kind of make peace with that and and be content, um, you know, that, look, this one is progressing and hopefully it keeps progressing. But Ogie, uh, yeah, I think Og told... Um, Dave, the photocopier guy before mom and dad actually knew. So uh, Dave, the photocopier guy anyway, was uh, sold to secrecy. But uh, yeah, he he's just over the moon. He said he just wants a sister. Um, yeah, but he's surrounded by by all his uh, his cousins. They're all girls. Um, so he just wants a sister, but uh, not a baby sister, a sister, like a full-blown three-year-old. So if this child doesn't come out as a three-year-old, you know, he'll be very disappointed. Um, so yeah, like it's just so exciting. And I suppose to see you know sport was such a huge huge portion of my life and yeah you know I suppose in life there's so many different stages of life and so many different seasons and I'm just in a different season now and I'm absolutely adoring it I'm thrilled for you and for um, for your family how important is faith to you Breed if you have any religious beliefs or would you have grown up in a religious household um, I would. I would have grown up in a very Catholic household. Um, my mother and father would both be devout Catholics. Um, my mother probably more so. Um, but yeah, we were a, a massive church-going family. Um, you know, every Sunday without fail. Um, 
I suppose like we grew up beside my grandparents and we would go over to Nana and Granda's house numerous occasions during the week and uh, sit down with them and, and kneel down, sorry, with them and do the rosary. Um, you know, stations, uh, stations, house stations were a big thing in my locality, as was probably in a lot of rural areas all over Ireland. Um, and when you think back on it, it was kind of a, a great way to meet up with all the neighbours and eat loads of buns and eat loads of sandwiches and stuff. But, um, you know, I suppose it, it went a lot deeper, obviously, for mom and for, and for uh, you know, I suppose many households in, in our locality, you know, to keep the house blessed and, and keep us all safe. And it was always about kind of looking after family. Um, I always carried a miraculous medal in my gear bag since I was seven years of age. Um, you know, so all those little things, um, yeah, like certainly... I suppose as I've gotten older, I, you know, would have to admit I'm not as church going, but um, I would still have a, a massive faith, definitely. Um, you know, we'd never leave the house without blessing ourselves with the water font. Um, and actually, even when we were children, um, you know, we went up to knock religiously every every June, um, you know, for for um for a visit um but my cousins my mother's brother he lived up in uh crockwell and galway so it was always a, a stop off to them too so um but it's it's probably only since you get a bit older and you realize you know that probably you do lean on it a lot more as you get a bit older um because like i said you know you have this lovely naivety and lovely ignorance probably when you're a little bit younger and um, that life always kind of rolls along um and yeah, I suppose like there's there's certainly times where you lean on it a lot more and in the last few years probably more so I've definitely lent on on my faith um you know in, in tough times but um like I suppose I would still place huge emphasis on walking up to the church and lighting a candle for a friend that's going through a difficult time or sending a mass card if I can't get to a removal or, or a funeral. So um yeah, I suppose all those little things I would still place a huge amount of value in um and mom i suppose um as i said would be um you know an extremely devout catholic um you know even in early on in this pregnancy mom like she did in my very first pregnancy gave me two prayers for an expected mother and you know they're they're prayers that i say every single night so um without being i suppose without being church going like if I went home to Rock Chapel in the morning, I would I would go to church. But it's I suppose we we live a very very busy life and sometimes maybe don't prioritize the church going aspect of it. Um, you know, but it's it's something obviously that that we have to try to to put a bit more, bit more time into because I I certainly feel like any time I go home and if I do go into church, um, there's a massive peace and a massive calm that comes with it and uh, a good few realizations that you that you come to. And sometimes you just need that peace and you need that shut off to to reach those. Um, so, yeah, I suppose that's that's very much it. This is quite refreshing to hear. Could you tell me what is one thing that you would change about Ireland and why? Um, well, I suppose given the recent fortnight, um, you know, there's a lot of things that you that you just shake your head at and say, is this still happening? Um, I suppose like the the RT saga that has come out in the last two weeks has been, it really has been uh, a massive breach of of trust for everyone in Ireland. Um, you know, I suppose that some one thing that I would change that isn't probably very very personal to me, but but would still I would still see as 
as very important to me would be accountability. Um, I would always hold myself to account for anything that I do wrong. Um, and sometimes I would beat myself up about things um, and make sure that I nearly work tenfold to to work something back if I feel that I am accountable for something. Um, but I feel just the accountability of the top brass, accountability just doesn't seem to be, you know, corresponding to the consequences of what is happening. Um, you know, I suppose down through the years and I suppose just because the RT saga has come out most recently, that's something that's obviously to the fore, but just the lack of accountability, you know, is money going to be handed back? Is there going to be jail terms? What are the consequences? How can people walk away? Um, it just seems to be them and us. And I suppose that's something that's that's very upsetting still to be happening in this present day in Ireland. Would you feel that the same way about other aspects of society or governance, um, not just RTE, but other parts of society in general, even at government level? Yeah, of course you would. Um, you know, this cronyism, and I suppose for years, like, you know, it's kind of like an Irish thing, like going, oh, sure, look, you know, oh, the boys are at it again. And, you know, there was some, I think it was actually on the, on the um, late, late one time, it was, I can't remember who now it was, but it was, you know, a sentence that kind of rang very true. And it was like, it isn't the fellas in the tracksuits you need to be worried about, it's the fellas in the suits. And, you know, it just, it's, it's sad that it still rings true. And I, I just think probably like, Justice and accountability is something that I feel sometimes isn't to the fore in Ireland. Um, and that's something that's worrying. And then I suppose like on a personal level, like, you know, I wouldn't be a very political person. Um, but I suppose, you know, as I mentioned, the season of life that I'm in at the moment, um, you know, we bought a house. We bought a house, Jeepers, nine years ago, I suppose. And uh a small house, like uh it was a perfect starter home and Obviously, you know, we're we're hoping, you know, to to go to our forever family home. Um, you know, it may not, might not be this year, it might not be next year. But, you know, I suppose we've seen firsthand we have family member that has gone through it and plenty of family members and friends that are trying to do it at the moment. But the the planning process in this country is uh, I suppose extremely infuriating. And myself and Carrick are rural people. Um, you know, it's something that you know, we loved in our childhood and something we want to give to our kids as well. Um, you know, to, that ability to to go home and uh, I suppose make roots. And it just seems like that there is a massive push to push all families towards urban areas. Um, but doing so without the infrastructures that are there, you know, I suppose we've seen firsthand over in over in Australia how family orientated it is from terms of of infrastructure, from terms of travel, from terms of, uh, you know, basic footpaths, basic walkways, promenades, everything for, for parents and even go even more basic than that. Every 100 metres, there's there's uh, playgrounds without question. Every 100 metres, 200 metres, there's playgrounds and these playgrounds have tarps over them to protect from the sun. I'm sure they probably protect against the rain as well here in Ireland. But, you know, it's it's just that lack of, you know, you're making this push for people to go um, into urban areas and, and buy up houses and, and do up houses, but there isn't the infrastructure there to support those families. Um, like I know for an absolute fact that there is one playground in the whole of Killarney. Um, and like, if you just take into account the size of, of Killarney and its internet, like it is just 
baffling. So I suppose just just something like that is is um is something that seems further and further away from us at the moment. Um and like we would have massive aspirations to obviously return to rural Ireland. I think rural Ireland is what makes Ireland so special, the communities that are there and returning to a community and having that support system there and and growing our community instead of pushing communities, you know, making them smaller and further out. Is it that you're having difficulty getting planning permission to build a house, is it? Um yeah. So like there there will be massive, massive problems at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. And even a, a close family member has had you know, has been up up to a year returning back plans over back plans. And every time you put it in, it's all a money game. So I don't know, does that relate back up to my first question that I made in that like where where does the book stop? Like how how is where does the accountability lie? How can you keep, you know, how can you keep kind of I suppose people are trying to do the best that they can and there's this just constant I, it just comes across as money grabbing to me, but I, I obviously don't know all the ins and outs of it. Um, but I do know a family member that has been over a year and has spent, I don't know how much extra money on trying to get plans over and back and over and back. And this is without even a block being laid, you know. So, um, yeah, I suppose that that's a worry going forward. But for now, we'll be happy falling over ourselves inside our swallows a little bit. And we'll be happy out. Uh, lastly, Breed, um, a piece of advice that you would give to my next guest. Yeah, so I suppose I mentioned it earlier um, and it was, I wholeheartedly believe that the greatest risk is not taking a risk. I wholeheartedly believe that. And, you know, for years, I suppose, I always, you know, reassured the line from my mother going you know what's far you won't pass you you know but I think as I've gotten older I certainly believe you know if it's meant to be it's up to me kind of more so than anyone else you know um and I think you know every time that you take a risk be it a small risk or maybe a more calculated risk that you learn a little bit more about yourself pushing yourself outside of your comfort zone is absolutely vital um, I suppose my biggest fear is certainly kind of st- standing still and plateauing a little bit um, because, as I said, I, I don't think anyone is the finished article. Um, there are things that you might find are your strengths and it's brilliant to to use those, but it's probably more important to find out, you know, what your limitations are and what you can work on. Um, and just every time that you're getting a little bit, a little bit, I suppose, <clears throat> more in tune with yourself and 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 where you can become a better person. Um, and, uh, you know, whatever you do, that you don't half-ass that you always use your full ass. Perfect. Breedstock, you're here. Thanks so much for joining the Cure Your Feeling podcast. Join me every Tuesday for a new episode of the Cure Your Feeling podcast. See you back here next week.